This program is brought to you by W. W. Norton and Company, publishers of Poetry Unbound by Patrick Otuma. Now in paperback and featuring immersive reflections on 50 powerful poems. Welcome to the guest editor Q&A, hosted by the Academy of American Poets. I'm Mary Sutton, senior content editor at the Academy, and I'm here today with Diane Seuss, author of the Pulitzer Prize-winning collection, Frank Sonnets, and Poem A Day's guest editor for the month of March. Diane, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Let's jump right in. How did you approach curating Poem A Day for the month of March? Mm. Um, my process, I, you know, it started very with, with real intention and then it kind of um, turned into confetti. Um, that is, uh, I knew that my primary um, value in the curation was diversity in all of its guises. And so I was interested, of course, in um, um, in thinking about um, poems from different regions of the country, um, from um, di different age groups. Uh, I, I think that was very important to me to include um, some older poets and then some really young emerging voices. Um, just a, a broad range of um, representation in the ways that we think of that, but also maybe in some ways that we don't tend to think of it. And so that was my primary value. And then, you know, just um, poems that I thought were intriguing and maybe sort of break the mold uh, in in contemporary poetry, maybe approaching uh, poetry in a in a different way than we're kind of used to um, online, etc. And then finally, um, I was interested in finding poems that spoke to each other across the the line. And you know, not so in other words, I'm not, I wasn't thinking of a, a frame or theme um, that would, um, you know, unite these poems, but I was interested in how they might talk to each other, especially um, in the order that I've put them in. I was interested in um, how one poem might follow another in a way thinking of it like I would uh, a literary magazine or a book. So how do we go from Denez uh, Smith to Jane Huffman there at the end? And um, 
you know, how do we move through um, poems about um, identity, orientation, um, childhood in ways that kind of spark each other. So that's where I was. It sounds like influence um, was of interest to you. Is that correct? Uh, you mean influence from um, poets outside, uh, poets that I'm not selecting, but how people have been influenced right. by others? Yes, I was. Um, I was interested in influence, but also in um, particularity of voice. That is, sometimes I feel like contemporary American poetry is this sort of circular chain where you know, we read somebody and then everybody hops on board. And I was looking for poems that didn't do that. And, um, you know, sometimes we can be almost <laughs> um, overburdened by this generalized kind of reading rather than reading specifically to our needs as writers. And I like to see poets who were um, kind of, on their own path and probably reading selectively for their own needs and feelings as writers. Um, so yeah, so influence, yes, um, but not necessarily influencing each other um, so much as um, I guess, you know, two things that really, I really value are honesty, <laughs> um, not kind of mugging for the camera, even though I do that sometimes. <laughs> um, and, um, and uh, at clarity of voice, and then um, poets who are, who are willing to look inward and not kind of perform for an audience as their first go-to. And so in that sense, I guess, in my selections, I was interested in interiority. Very interesting, particularly that note about performance since so mm -hmm. many poets are performers and many start their careers that way. Yes, and I love that. I love that. And I think, you know, in my way I do it, but I'm also interested in what's happening, maybe this niche of people growing a little tired, you know, and maybe it's my own feelings about social media, but in sort of writing for the reader, writing toward the reader first or the listener, um, rather than toward their own deepest need. And, um, I think the last few years, both politically and, and in terms of our health and wellness, maybe have asked us to turn a corner in that regard. Um, I, I myself have, have needed more than ever to look inward um, and try to understand what's being asked of me right now. If you could direct readers to one poem in our collection at poets.org that you haven't curated, what would it be and why? 
Oh, you know, I've thought about this. There's so many. I mean, I, you know, this Poma Day and um, the, the curation done by you all has been so important to me for so many years. And for those of us who can't afford to buy book after book after book, it becomes this incredible resource of, um, you know, the first time I ever re read Song, the brilliant poem by Brigitte Pagine Kelly, um, was, was on your website and it changed my life. Um, I can direct people. I, I help some young uh, poets in this country and in other countries um, with kind of how to construct their reading and how to access um, poetry for themselves, especially people in other countries to, who don't have access to books and they can access your site. So for me as a younger writer, and uh, for so many people across the, the globe, it's such a resource. Okay, so to your question, um, the poem that probably had the biggest influence on me is Gwendolyn Brooks' We Real Cool. And for a variety of reasons. I, I was a teacher for many years. I'll be teaching again in the spring um, in a new place. I will teach this poem. I always taught this poem. Um, and when I would show students what the poem looked like on the page and then hear uh, Brooks reading it because that's available on your site, um, it, it just sets, it, it, it's a new paradigm for, for how to use a line, how to use a line break, how to read a poem. Um, I got to hear her three times in person in, in my life um, and meet her. And the way each word, she really taught me that each word in a poem has its own weight its own energy, its own elemental fire. And um, I mean, this poem is a great example of there's just not one word too many. And in teaching this poem, I've set it up two ways on the page so that um, Brooke's poem, all the uh, lines end or break on we until the last, right? Um, so I, I set it up that way, and then I set it up traditionally so that we came at the beginning of the line, and the line break was on the punctuation, on the period. And um, the students looked at it first and thought about it, and then we um, heard her. And of course, then they knew why she set it up the way she did, what that gave the music of the poem and the fact that the rug is pulled out from under us in that last line and that we, which has followed us down the right margin through the whole poem disappears. And that we, those, um, those pool players at the golden shovel, those, those young people, um, they've disappeared, they're gone. Um, I love to 
Brooke's uh, use of persona in this poem and in others. I mean, this we is not her, um, particularly. <laughs> um, this we is um, the collective we of, of those pool players, young men. And um, her, her ability to take on um, personae that are challenging to her. I mean, sometimes uh, it's, it's almost unthinkable who she is willing to voice. Um, I'm sure that the poet I, AI, um, received important influence from reading Brooks' persona poems um, in taking on uh, a voice that is in many ways often reprehensible like um, Brooks' poem Riot, which is told from the point of view of a rich white man. Um, so um, We Real Cool is an example of a poem told in per persona, now in this case, not reprehensible, but still it's a reach across a divide for, for the writer. Um, and I learned so much from that. So that's a lot, I know. Um, mostly I want to gush about her brilliance and everything, you know, my own learning from her is the least of it. Um, what she gave the world and her poems and the, the courage of her poems just slays me every time. And I'm so glad I got to meet her. I'm a little envious that you got to. I know <laughs> that this is one of the few things that comes with having been having that I'm now old. <laughs> so I got to meet some, I got to meet Etheridge Knight and, wow. and uh, Brooks and Sonia Sanchez and, um, you know, people that I think at the time I didn't know how valuable those experiences were because I was, I was young. With with Brooks, I, I knew. <laughs> I knew. I always think of at one of her readings, and she was about to read, um, I think, uh, um, maybe it was The Ballad of Pearl May Lee, which is another one of my favorite poems on earth. And she said, you know, this poem has some um, naughty words in it. And um, if that offends your sensibilities, you're welcome to leave right now. And then when you hear the applause, come back in and all will be well. <laughs> and I just loved it. I loved her um, authoritative approach to that. And of course, nobody left. <laughs> that wasn't the point. Nobody would have had the, you know, um, the guts to leave at that point, but she just had in, in this little body, she had so much authority, so much power. And I, you know, that I could only wish for. Your mentions of, uh, personae and the spareness of language in that poem, as, as well as, um, you know, her attempt, as you see it, to reach across the divide, uh, reminds me a lot of the work that I think you were doing in Frank 
sonnets, particularly that that reaching across the divide. Um, and I think you prepare the reader for that uh, in your dedication in that mm-hmm. book, uh, which you, you you mentioned both Candy Darling uh, and Amy Winehouse. Um, yes. So you revisit themes um, previously explored in other collections, particularly mortality. You know, these poems are, in, in Frank sonnets, are spare, yet not brutal. But, you know, in my perception, can you tell us a bit more about the development of Frank sonnets and why you chose the sonnet, which mm. is traditionally, you know, reserved for romance? <laughs> why, why the sonnet as your cohesive form for this collection? Yes, well, um, in um, my previous collection, Life with Two Dead Peacocks and a Girl, I invented a sonnet form that was um, no rhyme, 14 lines, but every line was 17 syllables, um, like a haiku. And that came from Ginsburg's American Sentence, which was a 17-syllable line. And so I knew that that form gave me something, that compression gave me something that I wasn't done exploring. Um, When I uh, turned to Frank um, in, in that first poem, which was the first poem I wrote for the collection, I I really didn't know what I was doing. I usually don't. Um, But I, I was driving back from this ridiculous road trip to Cape Disappointment on the West, the West Coast, you know, you couldn't make that up. And um, I started writing lines and, and sort of narrating what just had happened, you know, one beat away from the present tense. I drove all the way to Cape Disappointment that didn't have, you know, the energy to get out of the car, you know, rental, blue Ford Focus. I had to stop it. So um, I started noticing there was uh, excitement for me in that kind of narration. Um, then Frank O'Hara kind of stepped in. I'm kind of like Frank O'Hara, but, you know, um, which I'm not really at all. Um, but, and, and I started thinking, I trust my intuition enough to think, okay, what is it about Frank O'Hara? Why is he stepping in now and what excited me there was his approach to poems is very live very present you know uh he called it um his i do this i do that poems you know i'm walking down the street right now so instead of poems that sort of curated the past as i'd done before these poems even if they were remembering which most of the book does, it's remembering in the present tense. So um, I I had in mind a memoir. And then the thought when I got back to my little cottage and put that poem down in lines, oh, you know, this could be, this memory could be a sonnet. Um, this moment could be a sonnet. Um, it, it made sense to me that somehow this tension between the aliveness, the presentness of the voice and the approach to language 
And then the compression of the form could be an exciting thing. And it gave me, um, it, it was exactly the frame I needed to tell units of my life. I, I compared in the book to, um, you know, cells of a film. Um, um, so these unit, 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 all that hold the same space, 14 lines. And it might be, you know, my father's death or a dishwasher and they <laughs> all hold the same space, right? And, and this compressiveness that the form really provided a safety net for me to go into profound intensity um, in my own memories, especially around uh, my son's addiction um, that I, I don't think I could have approached without a formal, um, you know, frame, those, those arms to hold me, I guess, of the sonnet. So I'm very grateful to that form. What are you reading right now? Ooh, I read a lot um, and I have two kinds of reading. One is I write a lot of blurbs and, you know, I take that very seriously because um, I've had people write blurbs for me earlier in my career which I could tell they'd barely read the book, if at all. <laughs> and then I've had people write blurbs for me, like Terrence Hayes with Frank, that are, you know, he wrote pages, basically, you know, um, and really committed to the book. And um, so I know how that feels, and I want to give that back. So um, I read a lot of primarily, you know, earlier younger emerging poets work that way oh there's so many good ones um courtney Fay taylor has a great um, new book concentrate which um i recommend to everyone um it, it's um it too contends it, it deals with another person's life but in that life um it, our reflections of the the speaker or the writer's own experience um, as a person of color in America. So, uh, um, and what she does with form and innovation of form is just incredible. Um, so that's a recent read and I keep returning to it. Um, I just read Aaron Smith's forthcoming book, which is um, uh, coming out this maybe this month. Um, and uh, that book called Stop Lying <laughs> um, is really centered on the loss, the death of his mother. And like Smith's earlier books, there's just this... Um, incredible gift of blunt force honesty that serves this subject even though I know for him to write it was extraordinarily difficult um it's it's just nowadays I guess I really appreciate 
a voice that's um, honest and real and and that book is and beautifully made. Sometimes I think um, books where speakers, uh, writers are um, writing kind of clean lines and sentences are not seen as, as innovative, but I think there are many kinds of innovation and what he's doing, his degree of uh, clarity of feeling is an innovation to me. Also, he's from um, the South, uh, a queer man from the South who contended with that, um, with really painful, um, violent homophobia, both inside and outside of his family. Um, so it's a complex emotional situation but he gives it to a spare and I really appreciate that. So, so there's that there, Jane Huffman, um, has a, a book coming out this year that, um, is really not like anything else people have read. I think very formally, um, wound tight. It, it's a book of a formalist, a young formalist, um, wound very tightly, but a lot of times her her forms, for instance, if she writes a Sestina, it's one that is caving in or falling apart. So it's almost like, you know, surveying the ruins <laughs> um, in an interesting way. So I could go on and on, but those are the, those, so that's one kind of my reading. The other um, way that I read is for my own work. And I'm very selective about that. Um, I've been reading a lot of Keats and reading Keats' bio um, in different forms. I'm starting to read on the whole subject of burlesque as a, um, not just as, as the way we think of it in this country, but early burlesque as a literary form and as a form in classical music. And I'm, thinking about that in letting that spin um, in terms of what I might do next. So. <laughs> well, speaking of your work, what are you working on now in your writing, teaching and publishing life? Yeah, so uh, my next book will be out in 2024. It's called Modern Poetry, which is kind of a arch <laughs> title, ostentatious, but not meant to be. I, I think people will see the parody in that title um, when they read the book. And I really had to take a turn from Frank and um, going from form poems and shorter poems. Um, so what do I do now? You know, it, that, that leaving the sonnet behind was very painful. And um, so I decided I'm gonna write in free verse primarily and longer poems, which was very threatening. <laughs> I, I forgot how, you know. Um, there are ballads in the book, but um, some more ballady than others, some ballads in name only, but that's a form that kind of is, coheres th throughout the book. Um, but for the most part, um, and, and there's something I'm calling fugues, which are little rhymy things. Um, so I took some uh, 
I took some ideas from from classical music or from you know music itself and I don't know that much about music so I had to do a lot of um you know research into it but um and the subject is I would say the thesis question can poetry continue to mean uh what can poetry be now um up against the brink as as we are politically and um you know culturally especially as you know millions people have died um be, for stupid reasons because of the pandemic not to mention um war and other kinds of violence I really began in my sequestered life here during the pandemic to ask the question, what can poetry be? And um, I hope the book answers that question. So that's my biggie. I'm working, um, I'm waiting for edits from my editor and um, I'll fix some things, but I think it's in pretty okay shape. And until I get the editing done, I probably won't be charging into a next book. I, I, I need to sort of put those babies to sleep um, before I know. I, so right now I'm reading and exploring and thinking through and writing a few essays while I'm at it. Well, I'm looking forward to whatever thank comes you. next. I think I think a lot of uh, our listeners and readers will. Thank you so much, Diane, for taking this time with me. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me again and for giving me this opportunity. It it was really um, challenging and fun. So thank you. Poem a Day is the original daily poetry series featuring new poems by today's poets. Produced by the Academy of American Poets, this free digital series is made possible by you, our readers and listeners. Learn more about Poem a Day, and if you can, please consider supporting this work by visiting poets.org give.